Welcome back to the IAS podcast, Everything Energy. We're very excited to bring you the first episode for 2021. You will notice towards the end of the podcast some variations in sound, and we do apologize for this in advance. We hope that you enjoy the episode. This is, this is Everything Energy. Produced by the International Energy Agency. This is going to be a pivotal year for climate and the world, as more countries look to ramp up their efforts to reach net zero by 2050, uh, leading up to the COP26 summit this year. One of the areas where more work needs to be done in order to achieve net zero ambitions is improving gender diversity in the energy sector. Gender diversity in the energy sector is vital. It's vital for driving more innovation and more inclusive solutions for clean energy transitions all over the world. To discuss this important topic, we're joined by two great guests today, uh, Mechtild Wurzdorfer, who's the IA Director for Sustainability, Technology and Outlooks. Hi, Mechtild. Hi, Chad. And Lucila Arbolea, who is an Energy Economics and Financial I- Analyst uh, here at the IA. Hi, Lucila. Hi, Chad. So this week, we also marked International Women's Day, and we thought this would be a good opportunity to relaunch our podcast uh, for the year uh, with this topic. Um, we're going to start by reflecting a little bit about the place of women in the energy sector which is widely seen as one of the least gender diverse parts of the economy. Um, Can you both give us a sense of of the reasons behind it, but maybe Mechtild, just give us a sense of how non-diverse is the energy sector? Thanks, Chad, and thanks for the opportunity. I think the energy sector is one of the least diversified and gender sector because only 22% of women are employed in the oil and gas sector. It's a bit better for the renewable sector. They are 32, but it's still relatively low. And compared to many other sectors, energy is not representative uh, in the gender dimension. So in energy, one in five people only are women. In renewables, it's about a third. And these are pretty shocking and pretty low numbers. Uh, Right, Lucilla? Yeah, that's true. And and it's also true that when you look at um, even how women are uh, distributed within sort of senior and managerial positions, you also see what you see in the uh, economy as a whole, but uh, that, that it also happens in the energy sector, which is um, fewer and fewer women um, get to the top. So we're going to get into the reasons why. But before we do that, um, we started framing this discussion as gender imbalance in the energy sector, especially as we're moving into a clean energy transition, could slow down the transition, could lead to less innovative solutions. Can you explain that? Why? Is that just a trope or is that what's the reality behind this? I think there is enough evidence that women and diversity more generally brings a lot of innovation. It brings even productivity. Companies we served with major energy companies, but also in other fields who have a diverse employment uh, policy and even more women at the top are doing better. And I think in the clean energy uh, transition, as renewables is slightly doing better than the traditional oil and gas company, we need to use that and employ and go for more gender and innovation while we are going to the transition. So this is not just about issues of fairness or even inclusion. There's maybe an economic economic rationale behind this. There's a technology rationale. There's an innovation rationale, Lucilla? Yes, uh, there's a few um, research uh, documents and papers that show that actually reducing uh, 
the gender gap uh, and increasing diversification can increase um, GDP and actually um, strengthen uh, economic projections. And that is seen at a global level, at, at a country level. But yet somehow I think that we're um, not, uh, countries and, and policymakers, we're all not um, used to think uh, in, in terms of uh, failures, market failures. So there is clearly a market failure. There's something that there's an allocation of how women and men are allocated in the labor force that isn't working. Mm -hmm. And a lot of this is because uh, there are stereotypes, there are norms, there are um, sort of different reasons, women taking more care of uh, people, their mm -hmm. elderly or their children. So there are a lot of reasons why that is um, not being fixed. But there are ways to solve it. One is putting targets, you know, whether they're voluntary or obligatory. But yet I think we don't, as much as we, and, and this is true of the energy sector, we think about market failures and we, we've taken um, decisions or policies to change those. The classic thing in renewable, in the renewables case, we put targets, we, we countries commit to things. And yet we were not good at dealing and sort of applying this rationale, I think, in the gender diversity uh, or, or the gender sector. So this is true in the energy field, right? This is a, a, a sector that's still... Do we recognize the problem in the energy sector when you look around to kind of when you look at these numbers and you look around at the energy companies, whether they're traditional fossil fuel or renewables, and we're going to see a lot more growth in the renewable sector. Is that a problem that's being understood or how far are we along the sort of understanding and solving problem sort of, you know, timeline? I think in the under, on the understanding side, we are getting there. There is much more sensitivity among companies, among governments, among organizations to do something about it. When it comes to solutions, I'm not sure yet. I think what really works and what Lucilla just said, what works in the energy sector, if you have a renewables target and you monitor it, we are not yet there. Some companies uh, have targets for women, objectives, clear 20%, 30%, 50% by 2030 but you need to monitor it. You need to quantify and monitor it. There are some good examples, but I think they are not enough. So we should really work and uh, make best practices. Mm -hmm. I think that's a bit our role, but we are not yet there. And the solutions are probably broader than the energy sector. I think we need to look at obviously the role of women, the role of women in the COVID, the role of women at home, the invisible work they do. So the problem is, stronger or more in the energy sector, because as we said in the beginning, we are less in the energy sector in employment and at the top, but it's a broader issue. Yeah. So give us a sense maybe of, you know, where it starts. So maybe in recruitment, if, if uh, is, do we have an issue, for instance, in recruiting enough, uh, you know, women into these maybe more scientific disciplines or economic disciplines? Is, is there enough maybe on the education side enough of a push for, you know, girls, young girls to get into these disciplines. Is that an issue? Is recruitment an issue? What, where do we start? Maybe Lucilla. Yeah. So I think that there is an issue sort of across the supply chain, if we can call it like that. And and definitely at the in terms of the pool of students in STEM um, subjects, which are um, science, technology, engineering I'm missing the, I'm missing the, okay, the e engineering and math. Uh, we do see that there's fewer women. So, for example, this is uh, UNESCO um, figure, 35% of STEM students in higher education globally are women. 
and there are differences within disciplines and countries, of course, and only like the minority of female students in higher education choose, for example, information and communication technology. So, yeah. so we do see, and this is a lot because, um, you know, there are issues around norms and stereotypes about, you know, you can't be an engineer if you're a woman. I mean, I, I come from a woman, a family of engineers, and I'm not an engineer, although I wanted to be an engineer at some point. Um, so there is still a lot of that, although that is changing. So so there is progress in, in terms of like the pool of students. But then we need to get those students to, uh, first more uh, women in STEM, but then they need to get a job. Right. And even when they get a job, uh, I think, again, there is some progress in terms of getting women to work. But then those women also need to get a job that is a technical job or a, a job that is related to managerial positions because we still see a lot more women in admin jobs or non-technical jobs and that means those women are less likely to then go into top positions and as Megtil said there's a lot of issues around then you know the word like balance of yeah. those jobs yeah. and other things but um, in terms of recruiting there is still a lot to do this was about training women more even like to get into an interview and to um, there's an interesting book recently about sort of bragging better uh, about mm -hmm. women, for example. Bragging, yeah. Bragging, yeah. Mm -hmm. We could also make it, some could brag less, for yeah. example. <laughs> but um, so so there's a lot to do. But I, I think, and we were talking about this uh, before, the the retaining women and, and mm -hmm. is, is also very important. And also talking to also men, which are currently managing uh, or sort of, um, more represented in top yeah. positions. So that's a broad range here of maybe stum stumbling blocks, obstacles, some of them visible, some of them maybe more psychological or uh, cultural or whatever. Um, so the, the figure you mentioned, 35% of STEM students are women, that's already a very low number. Isn't that one of the root causes maybe then that would translate into why we see 22 or 32% in energy or or uh, renewables, isn't that sort of something that needs to be addressed? Or is that just only the part of the answer, Megtild? I definitely think it's only part of the answer because other sectors like machinery, car industry, IT technology, they are not doing fantastically well, but they are doing slightly better than energy. Energy so is the worst here? energy is one of the worst. I think it's also linked to the attractiveness I think oil and gas companies are less attractive as employer right now than they were 10, 15, 20 years ago. Yeah. That has to do with the clean energy transition. That's true for men and women. Right. And secondly, I think one thing is the recruitment. And we need not only engineers, also in energy. I mean, we need also lawyers, economists, and many others. And also there, there's a lack of women. So I think the problem is a bit broader. Yeah. And once women start in a company or in a government or in an international organization, the other two issues are the retaining. Not many women stay. That's also a factor which is more in the energy sector than in the other sector. They drop out. Mm. And third, they are not doing the career until the top. We have among the top CEOs, I think none or very few women. Yeah. And that triggers another issue which you we might want to discuss is about role model and networking, yeah. which exists much more for men than for women. And I think there is also something we can do about it. So give us an example of, you know, what that looks like and, you know, how is that hampering progress for women, for instance, and what could be d done about that? As I said, role models play a lot of role. If you have an engineer or somebody in, in the family 
a mother who is getting into a leadership position, I think that's good for sons and daughters. Yeah. I think they see that it's possible yeah. within a family to do both, have a career and a private life. Mm -hmm. But if you only see men at the top and eventually the woman chose to work half time or to drop out, it's a personal decision. Mm -hmm. But I think we need more women at the top. We saw Lagarde and van der Leyen, mm -hmm. and we have much more, I think, to learn from others, even in middle management. It doesn't need to go all off the top. So you mentioned, Lucilla, some role models in your family. I mean, um, th that did not stop you, thankfully, <laughs> from being where you are today. So do you? what are your role models and how did you get to where you are today? Like, give us a bit of a sense of your kind of progress. Well, I have two, had two, um, now I have one, but two great grandmothers. And one actually was um, very different. Um, one was very much, you know, the sky's the limit. You can do whatever you want. She was always very big on economic independence. She was a widow. Mm -hmm. um, so she was always very good at that. Uh, and the other one was actually more, you know, great. Your dreams are great, but you also need to work a lot and um, get up early and do your work. She was divorced. Um, so I think there was a, a bit of a difference, but that combination somehow worked, but, and, and definitely worked for me. Um, uh, and, and I was very lucky, but I don't think that is generally the average. Um, you know, you may not have a grandmother and it may not be that way. Um, so I think that, but we still need to work on 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 sort of, you know, putting dreams to girls and, and then working to get those dreams happening, of course. Did you ever think in your life that like this would be an issue you would be confronted with or that you would have to sort of address as a challenge, you know, in your career in specifically the energy sector? I mean, it's probably a question one could ask across sectors, but for you, maybe knowing or not knowing these statistics, but maybe having an, an awareness that this was mostly a male dominated field, I guess. Did you ever think that this would, you know, slow you down or would, you know, be an issue? And how did your thinking evolve on this? So I, my, I, the reason I started in energy was because I started working in a company of two chemical engineers who were women, who were outstanding, uh, very good in rooms of men. So in a way, this was part of what attracted me to the like energy the world. Other role models, yeah, Perfect yeah, role <laughs> very different. Um, but I. It was with time, and at the time, I, I actually thought it was interesting. You know, it was easy to be highlighted in a room uh, where there was a lot of men. But then you start having these issues about people assuming, yes, that you are the secretary or like um, even, you know, comments that are absolutely unnecessary. Mm -hmm. And that men my age when I was, you know, 10 years ago, they, they just simply didn't get. And I think that the problem is that what sort of, annoyed me more at most of the time and still does sometimes is about how it undermines you as a professional right. also. Is this something you're still confronted with or that you see maybe with your peers or do you think things have changed a bit, um, whether inside or outside the IEA? <laughs> I must say I'm 10 years in the energy and climate policy sector, first in the European Commission, I now in the IEA. I didn't frankly see a lot of changes. As I said, there is more sensitivity, there's more awareness, but speaking at panels, speaking, uh, getting in meetings, yeah. I would say I've, I'm not anymore the only woman, but there are probably maximum one third, whatever conference I am in or in a panel. And there need to be really a specific effort because otherwise I think it's, it's only possible personally with targets and objectives. Yeah. We had a conference last two years ago in Berlin 
where they really made an effort and they first invited to all the panels only women. And once they had 50% on of confirmation of women, mm -hmm. they invited men. Mm -hmm. And I must say, we were in a panel half-half, and overall in some panels there were more men and some others women. But the whole atmosphere at the time, yeah. with the networking, speaking, it was half-half. It yeah. was much more like the society yeah. is representative of half-men or half-men. And I think we need to go there. We need to really make more efforts, and I think Everyone, I got motivated by my mother who hasn't made a career mm -hmm. and she really wanted me to make a career and probably there are both effects. Either you have a role model or somebody who couldn't do it because in Germany at the time it was very hard. Yeah. So I think we, we need a lot of encouragement and overall more targets and objectives. Otherwise, I don't see that much change in the last 10 years as I would have wished to see. Yeah. Um there are a couple of things I want to jump, jump, jump back on. One is this sort of career language that you, one applies more to women than men. These are questions that you do not ask a man about, you know, career and family, but there's something that comes for women. But before we get there, um, just in terms of the, the fixes and the actions that could be taken, you mentioned quotas or at least some numbers. And Lucilla, you mentioned the same thing, that we are in an industry that likes to put numbers on everything and objectives and targets and measure them and track them. Um, that's not happening yet for this particular sector that also impacts half of humanity. So I think that's an interesting point. So is that the way forward? Do you feel like that's going to be inevitably and we're not quite yet seeing it happen, but is that the way forward? And um, maybe can I also ask you to just reflect a little bit on the data collection side? So we can't really measure a problem at least solve a problem before we can measure it. So how can we measure it first and how can we use that data to uh, to move forward? Thanks, Chad. I think that points to really some of the issues. We don't have a lot of disaggregated data, disaggregated by gender. Mm -hmm. So we are really need to look more on the data side with our statistics and we have a great data center here or surveys to get it done. But there is also the willingness to collect data in a company or in, in other bodies, uh, which I think is not yet there because uh, we do surveys and so on, and there are different replies, different uh, perceptions. So I think the data issue, uh, which is not always in the energy ministry, so it's, it's, it's one of the issues, but we need to improve it. But it's not only about that. I think uh, we need uh, targets and objectives, as I said, and there are some good examples. I mean, the European Commission and von der Leyen in, his, in her uh, uh, speech, she wants 50% of women at all levels. And then there are targets for 22, 23, 24, and there are monitoring process. We heard from companies that they are doing it. It cannot done, be done overnight and it needs to be accompanied. But I think that that's the only way. Good data and then objectives. And if I may ask, maybe also resources, because you know, putting targets alone, um, it can be a beautiful dream that you that you would like to happen. Um, but so putting resources in terms of money and, and people, you know, implementing those targets are also yeah. very important. Um, and you know, culture. Yeah. Well, let's talk about that for a second, because it's not just a question of willingness to open the doors and to set targets. What do you do once that's happened? Because we've just talked about careers in women. Men and women have different sort of life cycles, naturally. 
And, and so how do you manage having both the ability to have a career, but also to have children, to take time off, to not take time off? And I'm really struck by the current, the last year we've had in the pandemic, where really the impacts of the pandemic have been disproportionately harder for women. So what are the processes that you have to put in place to remedy that or to at least level the playing field, I guess, would be another way of saying it? I think COVID has certainly reinforced some of the things which already existed. So uh, unfortunately, with homeschooling, it happened to be that more women were at home to take over that in addition. So, and frankly, this is also a global problem. I've been in a conference in Abu Dhabi, even though you would think Africa, India, Europe, North America, some would do better than others. But in the energy sector, I think, and in the role of women and men, there are a lot of things happening all over the world, which are similar patterns. But uh, coming back to your question, I think there needs to be, as I said before, a social policy which uh, is good for men and women. I, I see more and more uh, equal opportunities, paternal leave, maternity leave, all that needs to happen. And then I think as a next step is a cultural change, a training possibilities for, for women and men, and a, a more awareness training from the top to down. So it's right to say it's not only the target, it's the lot what comes around it to facilitate uh, this more equality and diversity in the energy sector. Yes, I think that, um, I mean, that it's impossible to talk about gender differences, I think, without mentioning that this point about care work, and there's a lot of um, time in surveys, time use surveys, I think that's the name, mm -hmm. the showing that women take on more uh, of the domestic and care labor than men, this is across the world, but also that they have less leisure time. Right. And, you know, they take that 24 hours, so if you put more time on something, you get less of something else. And and I think that um, we also need to, in this narrative, we also need to show men, men in particular that they, they are also not spending as much time with their children. I've been talking a lot about this with the men in my family, and one of them suddenly became aware that um, he had uh, three uh, boys. He didn't even take off the day he, his children were born. And I was like, what were you doing? He was working. Mm. That was mm. what he was doing. Mm. And, and you know, and this, and I think more and more this is a discussion that men are having that they also, you know, have the right uh, to, apart from the obligation, uh, mm -hmm. the right to be with their children. And I think that's also important. Uh, for for women to acknowledge and for uh, for men to acknowledge and for us women to to include that point, because um, although some of them have also mentioned how terrible it is to be out of their house while you know not seeing their children when working, for example, and I do remind them that that is only possible because their wife is right. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's a very very good point, and I think the point that also you make, Maxfield, about it's not about just maternal leave; it's it's family leave, it's uh, parental leave, and applying this to men and women helps normalize it and make it easier for both genders to kind of make it part of the workplace. So I think that's a very good point. Um, and that's one of the more maybe deeper cultural issues that um, has to be maybe addressed or confronted. Um, just maybe to kind of go back to where we started, um, which is about making net zero ambitions a reality. And part of that requiring a major transformation 
of the energy sector. And if we really want to achieve these very ambitious net zero targets by 2050, um, there is going to be trade-offs and perhaps even costs. And I think at the IEA, this is something we are recognizing. We are putting together a global commission on people-centered transitions. And really, the idea here is to really consider all aspects of the transition. There are aspects of justice and fairness. There are also aspects of gender equality. And maybe you could address that a little bit, uh, Mechtilt. Thanks. I think, first of all, it's a very important topic, social inclusion, just uh, transition. And our new global commission has a good starting point. More than half are women. It's not the only one. It's also very geographically balanced as a global commission. And it will address justice and inclusiveness in a broader sense. I think when it comes then to equality, in a way, energy is a lot about products, about consumer, and about selling uh, uh, green products, uh, access to finance and all that. We shouldn't forget that in order to make good policies and even sales policies, half of the customers are women. So we need to understand, and companies uh, ourselves and, and this commission, that in order to be aware of how this product could be shaped or how the behavior of people are, we need to represent them also at all levels. Yeah. So my point is a global commission with half women, half men, and a global diversity is a good example on how to address all these issues. And I hope that commission will come out with very clear recommendations, which will be addressed at COP26. And further on, we will deepen uh, that work, which we will start right now. So what do you expect actually from the COP process, if anything, on this specific issue? And you were mentioning that this is not going to be a one-year process. This is a multi-year um, endeavor. But are there milestones that you have your kind of eye on that you could sort of see as as markers? I think we, we will have the opportunity with the IEA summit in 31st of March. We will have many meetings with G7, G20, and so on. And I saw the UK made a particular point that women should be part of the negotiation and uh, part of the climate change debate. And we have some leading women there, maybe not enough. And that was one of the critical points. But I think there will be more women. There are leading women uh, in, in that space. And COP26 is really an important milestone to get this clean energy transition, this net zero across the world. And I think in that sense, it can help also the debate on, on gender and equality more generally. Great, thanks. Um, maybe some parting thoughts and some advice. Maybe I can ask each of you if you have a piece of advice that you would like to share um, for men or women, but really to think about this topic and maybe confronting this topic if it's arisen, but what would be kind of your kind of guiding star here if you had to give one piece of advice? I think you need to be confident and you need to take the risks and women tend to do be a bit more careful. So I would everyone encourage to make that debate a common debate with men and women. We shouldn't only uh, uh, limit it to, 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 to the female, but I think there's an opportunity for all of us if we embrace this gender equality. And I think my advice would be to really go out, think about it and speak about it and then make the necessary steps. Yes, I really like that point on risk, I think. Um, I think that's important, whether that is like taking all the opportunities you can, whether it's 
trying to get a little bit out of your comfort zone to um, you know, push the boundaries or be less uh, shy, or whatever um, the exact uh, practical implication. But I think another thing, and that's the, the way I sort of um, do it myself, and I'm not saying it works for everyone, but I like to bring in men. I like to get into uncomfortable conversations, respectful conversations, to bring in the data, to explain, to say, well, if you earned 80% uh, less than me for doing exactly the same thing, wouldn't you get a little bit annoyed at least? So sort of, and you know, sometimes I get a bit annoyed. <laughs> uh, but I think it's important because today men dominate the politics, the economics, the households. So I don't think there's going to be a change without them. And I don't think that they are necessarily sort of meaner or, you know, less, you know, they don't discriminate on purpose. They, I generally think, though, on average, mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. that is the case. So I think that bringing in men and sort of just trying to have those conversations, I mean, in a way, it's the same point about risk. It's about, you know, going into those uncomfortable sometimes situations. And, and data here is great. So and hopefully we'll, <laughs> we'll get to have more of that because I think it's, it's hard. Some, some, sometimes numbers speak for themselves. That's, that's great. Thank you very much for both of you. This has been a really, really interesting conversation. Hopefully we can make this podcast another place where we can have these conversations, uh, awkward or not. Also, this is a place where we can bring out more of data. And definitely uh, with the podcast this year, we do plan to focus much uh, we do plan to focus on the clean energy transition, on these targets, and certainly we'll keep uh, talking and raising this issue. I think that's a uh, really compelling. So thank you both for your time. um, And we hope to have you on soon. Okay. Thank Thank you very much, Chad.